0: Sometimes it's so easy to feel overwhelmed by the sin that we are surrounded in, especially in the United States. It's it's nonstop. It's on the news. It's in the culture. It's everywhere. And it can feel very overwhelming. And yet what we see in the Psalms is David in the midst of a similar environment. He's instead saying, God, look at me, revealing me the things that I need to clean up in my own heart. And it's such a powerful example. So we're going to unpack that today. I pray this episode blesses you. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word. I know that you have been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. I know, I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus, how he calls them, how he encourages them, how he equips them. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, helping you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I also include a lot of cultural and historical information that makes these familiar passages of scripture really come alive. This is a great study to do with maybe your teen girls or a group of friends from church, and it will really help you gain confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. Again, head to shehears.org and you can find the Bible study on the resources page. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're gonna be in Psalm 26, which is another Psalm of David, and it's a little bit shorter than the ones we've been doing in the last couple days, but still is so rich and teaches us about God's character and nature. Starting at verse one, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with the deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evil doers, and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in incense and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life of bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly I will praise the Lord. So this psalm is essentially a prayer from the psalmist, from from David. So with the exception of the title and the final verse, it's exclusively a prayer to God. And so in this prayer, what we're seeing is David approaching God really on the basis of his innocence. And it's a bold basis for for petitioning God um, or claiming, but, but it's not boasting. I think we could read it that way if we're not careful, but instead... I think what it is, is a desperate plea or a prayer or a cry out to God from David's heart about the situation he finds himself in, the people he finds himself surrounded by. And it leads to praising God. And so while the psalmist might be showing some sort of confidence in his innocence, um, I, I think it's important for us to be realistic and be honest with where we're at. Sometimes we are, we find ourselves in situations where it is certainly a consequence of our own choices and our own actions. But sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we did not have control and we can't leave or we can't um, necessarily change the people that we're around. And, and I think that's what we're seeing here is David in that situation is crying out to God. I think the big idea of this psalm is that, and we're going to get into it a little bit, is that we can't really separate ourselves entirely from people that are not living for the Lord. And what is the example we have from David As we find ourselves in those places and we can do as much as we can, you know, even with our family, we send our kids to Christian school. Of course, we have church, we've raised them, you know, on the mission field and those kinds of things. But there's still an element of the fact that we live in the world, even though we're not of the world. And there's an element of the way media creeps into our lives or just in general, like we live in a fallen world. And so there is this element of evil or people that are not living for the Lord that is going to constantly surround us. And yet what we see here is David's life is really an illustration of how worship helps us shape us in those situations. And while we might not be able to change the circumstances of our um, environment at least maybe not right now, what we can control, what we can do is change the posture of our heart and to allow that situation to teach us more about God's provision. And we do that through a variety of ways. Um, Worship is one of them. And then also having clear boundaries between us and and that alternative lifestyle is another. And so what we see at the center of this is God's unfailing love as his hand provides for us in, in the midst of what feels like chaos. I don't think that David's situation is that unlike what we have experienced ourselves or are experiencing in, in our timeline. So verse one says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I am trusted in the Lord without wavering. This idea of vindication um, or even living a blameless life I don't know about you, but I've been there. Like, I've been in situations where I'm like, God, why is this happening? I have tried to just put you first in my life, and I have pursued you with a passion, and I'm trying to tell other people about you, and yet I'm still being opposed, and I'm still being surrounded by what feels like enemies. And so I can relate to David. I think a lot of us can just from this very first verse, like, okay, God, I... I've led this blameless life, I've not faltered, vindicate me, save me from what's going on right now. This uh, phrase of leading a blameless life, in the Hebrew, that phrase, it literally means I walk in my integrity. And, And what it's doing is it's really suggesting that he has been living a life that is pursuing the heart of God. And um, even the imagery of saying, I have not faltered, it, it, or sometimes you'll see it read like an NIV, it'll say, I did not slip. That's this idea of having a sure-footedness as a traveler that's walking along a narrow mountain path. That's the imagery that we would see in this time frame. And so what David's essentially saying is like, God, I have surrendered my life to you. I've followed you. I'm going, even when it's difficult and it's a narrow path, I am following you and doing the things that you've asked me to do, yet I'm still in this place. Rescue me from, from what's going on. And then in verse two, we see, test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. The words for test and examine They occur elsewhere in Psalm 17, namely for uh, probe and test, respectively. We see this idea of examining that is describing down the way that uh, metal will be melted down by fire to remove any impurities. And that's imagery that we see elsewhere in the Psalms. Like in addition to Psalm 17, which we've already covered, and actually Psalm 12, it's in there. We see it in Psalm 66. We see it again in Psalm 95, and and we see it a couple different places in Scripture. So this this idea when we hear or we say test or try or examine, it's this this word picture of refinement, where like when you melt down metal and you get it to a certain temperature. The impurities, the, it's called the dross, will rise to the top. And then the metal workers can skim the impurities off the top of that metal. That process of refinement, um, it requires something of us. It, you know, in, in the word picture of metal, what happens to the metal? The metal has to surrender to the heat of the flame. and But in that process, it's a way to reveal the things that are maybe deeply embedded and deeply hidden and so um it talks also about this idea of essentially there's a hebrew equivalent of the heart and the mind so when you say my heart and my mind it's also my reins and my heart and so the reins are the kidneys and the israelites believed that the kidneys were the place that your emotions were registered and so The heart would have represented the mind. So the thoughts and the feelings, the emotions and the feelings. So what we're seeing here is David really crying out and saying, okay, examine my heart and my mind. Examine my emotions and my thoughts. So it's not just if you're testing me and you, it's not test me like test me and I'll prove you wrong. Instead, this idea of test is refine me, reveal to me the things that are deeply hidden that I don't even know were there. You know, I didn't think I was going to share this today, but I, I think I'm going to, because I think it's been um, something that has hit me personally, uh, really heavy this week. And and hopefully it's helpful for you to understand kind of the level that we're talking about here with David. Um, it's no secret that I have walked through some trauma in my life, especially childhood trauma. And last year... Maybe it was the beginning of this year. I did EMDR therapy, and different people have different thoughts on that. For me, it was incredibly helpful. But in the process of, of EMDR, it's not a long-term therapeutic option, at least for most people. It's usually 10 to 12 sessions. And so what happened for me, though, is I was able to clear out the emotions behind a lot of childhood trauma, the big things that happened to me. But since that time, what has happened is I have recognized that there have been triggers. And I hate saying triggers because I feel like that's such a trending word. But I don't know how else to to describe it. But there have been different triggers that will trigger different emotions in me. And prior to doing EMDR, even though I had gone through a lot of therapy, I would have done my best to just stuff those things down. And, um last week there was a tv show that I was watching that showed a little girl who was coming out of surgery I think it was and her mom was at her bedside and I found myself weeping nobody else was awake I was up it was late and I was up you know just watching tv by myself and I found myself weeping and you know, my daughter has gone away to college and there's a grief process that happens with all of that. And this was a mother and daughter, and I kind of just initially thought it that's what it was. And so instead of stuffing it down, I just let it I just sat with it. I sat with the emotion. I allowed myself to feel the sadness. But it started to turn into something a little bit more. And I think previously, again, I would have just buried it or sucked it up or or whatever. I let myself just feel it. And as I was going through these emotions, I had a memory that I had long held deep inside that I did not realize that I even remembered. Um, And I think it's one of those things where when we go through trauma, we can have memories and emotions that our body remembers, even if our brain can't. And so that's what was happening with me. And, and, And I remembered being a little girl, about three years old, And going through a surgery. And this was the second surgery that was repair work for some things that had happened to me in childhood. And as I was leading up to the surgery, I remember asking my mom, as a three-year-old kid, I was trying to find some sort of comfort, I guess. And I asked my mom if I could have a pink mask. And this was in the days where they, they would use these big, heavy gas masks to to put kids under or put people under during surgery. And she just flippantly said, yeah, you can have a pink mask. And so in my little three-year-old mind, I was getting a pink mask for my surgery. And I had had surgery before. So I knew I knew about the mask, but the mask was big and scary, so I thought it was going to get this pink mask this time. And when it came time for the surgery, I got a black mask, which, of course, there was never going to be a pink mask. But in my little brain, I thought they were giving me the wrong medication and that I was going to die, that, that they did something wrong. They made a mistake. They messed up. And there was nobody there to tell me any different. And so when I was put under anesthesia, I was screaming and, and terrified. And I have read and heard that if you go under anesthesia terrified, you wake up terrified and it can make a lasting you know, emotional impression. And so that happened. And then when I woke up, there was no family member there to comfort me. And I remember just what felt like a very long time. I don't know how long it truly was. I remember this nurse just walking me back and forth as I just cried and cried and cried and cried and I remember her saying they should be here your parents should be here I don't know where they were and truth be told had that situation happened within a family that was healthy and normal you know there could have been a reconciling conversation with the mom and the daughter where she just said yeah you know I said that because I was trying to make you feel better and there was never a pink mask and I'm sorry that's not how things operated in my family and so um I think what happened was there was this fear, this element of fear, a fear that was buried. And so when I saw this little girl being comforted by her mom on TV, it triggered this emotion in my body that I did not know was there. And so as I'm sitting with it and I'm sitting with the grief or the sorrow or the sadness, I realized that what I was really feeling was fear. And fear is not an emotion that I typically allow myself to, to deal with. I just say, okay, fear is from, not from God. And I command it to leave or I just operate scared and I just figure it out. Fear is not something that I would necessarily say I struggle with. I'm not a person that typically struggles with fear and anxiety. But what ended up happening was is as I was crying, I recognized that it was fear that I was feeling. And I allowed myself to be afraid. I allowed myself to feel the fear and... I kind of even quiet screamed into the pillow because, of course, my kids are sleeping. And as I worked through that emotion, um, it was the first time I could recognize that I had had things hidden in my heart that I did not even know that were there. And I did some EMDR on myself. I prayed. I dealt with some things spiritually, emotionally, physically. And it was quite a process. And, of course, I was exhausted afterwards, as is what happens with EMDR. But now that I had the tools to recognize it and deal with it, I could see how there, there may be things hidden in our hearts that we don't even know is there. And I wouldn't consciously say, you know, holding on to fear from when I was a kid was a sin. But what I can say is, there have been times in my life where God has called me to do something and I haven't done it because of fear and I've allowed fear to hold me back. Now, that's much better than it used to be because I've learned how to just be obedient to God and, and the weight of disobedience for me is worse than the weight of fear. But it's not that I don't get afraid. And um, there have been definite times in my life where I've allowed fear to interfere with what God was trying to do in the situation. And so perhaps it lent itself to sin, or perhaps it was a way that the enemy was keeping me bound from stepping into the calling that God had for me in certain situations. And so I say all that to illustrate this point of what David is trying to say. when he says, test me. He's saying, refine me like the fire refines the metal and allow the impurities to come up. I think that needs to be the prayer of our hearts. Regardless if we think it's sin or ways that the enemy has kept us bound, this prayer of test me, Lord, and try me, examine my heart and my mind. That's my emotions and my thoughts and my mind for perhaps even the things that we don't know that are hidden there. I did not realize that I was carrying fear over the situation that happened when I was three years old. I barely remembered it. It wasn't until that memory, that emotion was triggered. And so then what we see in this response is David saying, the reason why David can do this and he can can be vulnerable with God is because of love. Verse three says, for your love is ever before me and I walk continually in your truth. The words that are used here when it's talking about Unfailing love. Um, th- this version says, For your love is ever before me, but other versions would say unfailing love, and that's how the original text would have been written. The word love, has said, and truth, or it can be translated as faithfulness, emet, those are covenant terms. And those covenant terms are the essential things that David is standing on as the foundation for resting in the knowledge that God is faithful God his his love is there to hold him up to sustain him to deliver him so that if there is any level of vulnerability that comes from saying test me God we can know that we are in trustworthy faithful capable hands because of the covenant promise that god has given us we see that both in the old testament god's covenant with god's people and that's what david is referring to but we see it in the new testament through jesus god's covenant with god's people we as believers can stand firm on this covenant promise that god loves us immeasurably and he is faithful he is he is always going to be there to pick us up when we fall Verse 4, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. This uh, reference to the deceitful and the hypocrites, it's really the very opposite of what we're talking about now. So it's the opposite of being filled with the fullness of God and pursuing that which is good and being vulnerable with God and surrendered and obedient to God. The opposite of that is this word for hypocrites. And it really means... It's a whole principle, it's a verb of hiding and it really suggests those that are trying to hide their real character. so and we know what the word hypocrite means. we've all been up against hypocrites but at a core level what David is asking or what he's saying is I am not including myself with the people that are hiding behind their their false sense of character. what I'm doing is I am laying all laying it all out for you God. And God knows that. God knows when we have been trying to hide things from him or we're trying to pretend, you know, maybe we got our acts all cleaned up on Sunday, but then Sunday afternoon all the way through Saturday night, we act terribly. I mean, God knows that. He's, he's not ignorant to any of that. He sees everything. In verse 6, David says, I wash my hands in innocence and I go about your altar, O Lord. Essentially what we're seeing is David referring to going to be in God's presence at the in the sanctuary. And this idea of washing the hands, that was really um, an allusion to, to innocence. That's what that would mean in that culture. So if you said you washed your hands in innocence, um, that, we see that in other Psalms. We see that in the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, we see it. And it is really a ritual that has done... Before the entrance to the uh to the church or to the temple, and so this practice of washing your hands is really symbolizing innocence, so he's saying not only is he washing his hands and he's innocent uh, as he enters into the temple, but also right now in front of God, recognizing that god God's presence is what makes the temple special as we wash our hands as we we show our hands and surrender to god and say okay i I, anything that is in me anything that is unclean in me i want you to take from me and wash it from me that's where david is sitting as he's praying this prayer to god and okay we have one more verse eight i love the house where you live O lord the place where your glory dwells so this love that david's talking about his happiness His joy in life is not coming from his military successes or even the benefits of being king and you know, the riches that he had access to or his influence over the world, which he had all those things. But his joy really came from being in the house or the assembly of the Lord, being in God's presence. So that's basically to say that he found his greatest blessing in life, his greatest pleasure in being in the place where God's presence was evident. And so David longed to be where God was being honored among his people and where his glory was resting and dwelling, which was in the temple at, at that time. And so that's why David loved being with other believers that were also living in God's truth. And and I think the same is true for us. There is a comfort that comes from being with God's people in fellowship with God's people. And this is something I think that is not culturally is not as important as it was for people a couple years ago, post COVID, I think what happened is a lot of people started watching church online. They started, you know, maybe doing home church or whatever, but, but there is a such tremendous value in being part of the people of God, being part of a community of believers and being in God's presence in the place that God's presence is dwelling. And of course we know God's presence dwells in our heart. Um, but there's a special relationship in our family and community of believers that builds us up, that helps us sustain those moments when we are surrounded by the people that don't love God. And, you know, of course, I think it's important to point out, you know, you always hear hate the sin, but love the sinner. Practically, what does that look like? Well, practically, we can be in relationship with these people, but we don't have to endorse their behavior or their lifestyle. And that can look a lot different for a lot of different situations. But but I think that the key takeaway here is that David is not, he, he's recognizing that they are living in sin, but he's not throwing shade at them. Instead, he's turning inward and saying, God, examine my heart. Take away the things that are hidden in my heart, the things that perhaps I don't even realize. Examine my, my heart, my mind, my thoughts, my emotions. And I think that is a key for us because I think we are living in a climate that is hostile to Christianity and it is so easy for us to just throw stones or point fingers and get so caught up in everybody else's sin or the sin of the world around us that we forget to say, God, look at my heart. Take a look at my heart and deal with me, deal with the things that are hidden, perhaps that I don't even realize that that I'm still holding on to, that are barriers to my relationship with you. So given that uh, insight, we're going to read Psalm 26 again. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men and whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground in the great assembly. I will praise the Lord. Lord God, help our response to the evil around us be like that of David's to praise you in the great assembly, to stand on level ground. And praise you for who you are. May our response help us to turn inward and and continually surrender the things in our lives that are barriers to you, God. Even those things that remain hidden, the things that we don't even realize that are there, God. We surrender those things to you. And would you test us? Would you test us like the metal worker melts the metal and reveals the impurities and rises them to the surface so they can be skimmed away? God, would you do that process with our own hearts? Would you help us to walk into this place of complete and utter surrender to you because of that covenant promise that David reminds us of, the love and the faithfulness that we have in you. God, I thank you that you are a God of love and a God of faithfulness that continually pursues us and pursues deeper relationship with us. I pray for my friends today that they would sense your presence in a very real way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Real quick before we go, friends, I want to let you know about something that's in our shop that I think that will be a blessing to you. If you are somebody that does not want to write in your study Bible, we have, of course, we have journaling Bibles and note-taking Bibles. But what I've been using lately is the scripture journals, and I just love them. We have two different options. We have one that's really inexpensive. It's just the book of John. So if you're doing the She Hears Bible study, it's an excellent way to take notes and, and write. And then there's also the Hosanna Revival beautiful scripture scripture journals. And it's a gospel set that includes all four of the gospels. So on one side of the page, it is the scripture. And on the other side of the page, it's lines so you can take notes. And these are really great for grabbing one and putting in your bag or taking it to church if you want to take sermon notes or just accompany your own personal Bible study. I love them, and they're really beautiful. My teenage and college-age daughters love them. And with Christmas coming, I just thought I would mention it because... It would make a really good gift for someone in that age group, especially if you're encouraging them to walk and grow and learn in their relationship with the Lord. So I love them. I personally use them, and I just wanted to make sure you knew that they were there. Friends, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Have a great afternoon.